johnsyndicate.com. Call 1-888-201-4201. That's 1-888-201-4201. Direct from the Vegas Strip. Are you looking to access the most powerful betting syndicate information directly from the Vegas Wise Guys? The same games that players walk into the casinos and move 5, 10, 20 dimes a game on week in and week out. Learn the secrets of the most powerful betting sources directly from our office to your ears. All you have to do to walk with that air of confidence is pick up the phone and don't stall. Make the call. Call 1-888-201-4201. That's 1-888-201-4201. Call now. Call free for your access password at johnsyndicate.com. That's www.johnsyndicate.com. Call now. Call free. back with another edition post-Super Bowl Sports Insider Radio. What's going on, Costi? Um, actually texting a client right now. Been dealing with clients all morning, man. This is what we do before the show is I try to get everybody lined up for the day. The coaching and the money management that, that we provide, I mean, there's nobody else in this industry that's willing to go the extra lengths to do the things that we do because... Most of the guys in this industry are just giving out their opinions and people are paying for their opinions, but they're not actually talking to their clients every day. Also, on the other hand, um, you know, I know you were on a call earlier today where you mm. spent 30 minutes talking to a client and telling him I, I don't know. I spent 30 minutes talking to an inquiry, telling him that I don't want his business. See, I, I sell people not to join. How do you like that? If you're listening, I literally sell people not to join. I can't deal with clients that want to say on their left hand they're big betters and on their right hand cry about the fees. I told the guy the same thing. I'll tell everyone listening. You wouldn't walk into a Ferrari dealership and expect to have the stickers say what it costs to buy a Toyota Corolla. Nothing to say negative about a Toyota Corolla, but it's like every other walk of life, you, you have a normal economic ex- expectation, but if it costs more, usually there's a reason why. Uh, and, the, you know, the buyer's willing, the market indicates such. And for whatever reason in this, and I'll tell you what, you know, just to, before we get into the breaking down the upcoming baseball season and the current basketball season, you know, you look at a lot of this Instagram marketing, which, you know, we don't do. Uh, all of our stuff is YouTube based with live videos and instruction and here on the radio. And, you know, you see people bragging that they're, they bet a million. I saw all these guys posting million dollar tickets. Majority of them were on San Fran. Majority of them were losing million dollar tickets on the Super Bowl. And, you know, what I explained to people is that in the real world of betting, you can't get down that much money on one event. The reason what makes the Super Bowl such an amazing event is that there, it's basically a no limit event. But on a day-to-day basis, you know, we have certain clients, you know, as we talk about every week, uh, that 
uh, are listening uh, religiously, <clears throat> I'll give them plays. You know, they have 200-hour limits. They have 50-hour limits. So what I, what I always tell people is that if you're someone and you're buying into the tickets, uh, you know, when somebody shows you they, how big they bet, usually that's a sign that they're a loser because the sports books are going to ban the winners and they're going to say, bring it on, bring it on if you're a loser. And in the Super Bowl, everybody can look like a winning gambler because anybody can make a big ticket because the event is basically a no-limit event. Um, you know, again, I watched the game, you know me, I'm not emotionally attached. Obviously the Ravens weren't in it. So my son wasn't, you know, emotionally attached. Um, a lot of people are conspiracy theorists. If you look up gambler's fallacy, you know what it, you know what the gambler's fallacy is, Costi? What's that? It's the gambler's fallacy is known as the Monte Carlo fallacy. It occurs when an individual erroneously believes I'm reading this off the internet that a certain random event is less likely or more likely to happen based on the outcome of a previous event or series of events. That's what they call the gambler's fallacy. So after the game is over, the gambler's fallacy is based on the outcome that Mahomes was an underdog or the NFL wanted Kansas City to win or Swift Nation won. This is like... This is where the psychology and rea and logic kind of like are oil and vinegar. People actually believe. Now, I be, I wasn't surprised to see um, Kansas City win, but I would basically say that they didn't really win the game. San Fran decided to lose the game uh, by kicking a field goal and not deferring the ball when they got the coin toss. So I can let you pick up with there. Do do you, do you agree with me? I don't believe Kansas City won the game. I believe mm. San Fran decided to lose the game. I mean, there was no. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if it's it, it's Super Bowl. Look, man, just like we we all talk about in the NFL, you got to throw out the last game. It's one game, and based on the talent, I think San Fran wins six out of ten, not fifty fifty. I think they have a slight edge. Just my personal opinion doesn't mean that's the right opinion. Doesn't mean that's anybody else could argue the other side. It can. That's why the line was so small. That's why there was a lot of tickets on Kansas City. Not saying that anything more than just my opinion, but a huge injury on San Fran. Again, one guy doesn't make a defense, but Trey Greenlaw, who was an all-pro linebacker, was covering Kelsey the entire first half. Kelsey had one reception for one yard. He goes out. They put in the backup. The backup, if you look at the stats, got roasted. And everybody he was covering, they were catching balls on him. Because, again, he's a backup for a reason. Is that the reason that San Fran lost? No. Um, I think there was a, a multitude of things in the second half that San Fran just stopped doing, which is run the ball. I don't know why they got away from it. They started getting pass happy. And it just wasn't, that's not the way you beat Kansas City. Kansas City is not good against the run. They have a really good pass rush, which obviously you saw Chris Jones was wreaking havoc in the second half and, and throwing Brock Purdy off his, off his lines. And, you know, they try to be cute. And that's what happens in the Super Bowl. Coaches have a lead. They try to outthink themselves. And what ends up happening is, they outthink themselves too much, and then all of a sudden you have 
a muffed punt um, where the ball hit a, a blocker in the ankle, so the the kick uh, the punt return man had to actually go for it, and that turned the whole game around. And you saw Kansas City in the first half could not move the ball, could not get anything going, fumbles, you know, things that are uncharacteristic for a Kansas City team. They, they usually don't have that in the playoffs. Then Mahomes throws an interception. Again, you know, that's why I say six out of ten times, both teams that were going into that game played each other. I think Kansas City would lose six times out of ten. It's not a complete 50-50. But what happens is you give Mahomes the ball at the end of the game. He's going to do whatever the guy it's so unique to watch these great players because they the game slows down for them. The game just becomes easy. They put the ball in their own hands, and they make the right decision when they have a split second to make that decision. And Mahomes did that on that final drive. Do I think that San Fran didn't know the rules of overtime? I mean, it's been all over the news. Some of the players said they didn't. Um, Shanahan did say that analytically it was smart for them to take the ball first and put points on the board to put pressure on Mahomes. Um, this is brand new. This is only you know the second year they've done this rule where no matter what the outcome is of the first drive in the playoffs, the other team gets the ball. I think if they do it all over again, they would have went on defense. But one could argue and say if Kansas City comes down and gets the ball first in overtime and scores, now there's too much pressure on Purdy to throw the ball, and that's not their game, so they anticipate it to get the ball and score and not kick a field goal. Um, so, I mean, either or, you could make an argument. I know there's, you know, because, I mean, we saw the stats, $331 million bet on FanDuel. And 1.2 million active users on FanDuel. That's just one app. Just one app. A million people were betting the Super Bowl. More than a million people were betting the Super Bowl um, just on FanDuel alone. So everybody's going to have their opinion. Everybody's going to have a say. Everybody's going to be their you know, uh, armchair quarterback after the game is over. If they were on the right side, they're going to say, I told you so. If they were on the wrong side, you know, they're going to make an argument. I think at the end of the day, the only thing I would have done completely different if I was San Fran is when it was fourth down instead of going for the field goal, if they knew um, that Mahomes was going to get the ball back regardless, might have went for it. Again, I am not a coach. I don't claim to be a coach. Um, I don't really care about the Super Bowl in terms of the betting angle of it that much anyway, unless it's strictly entertainment. Like you said, there's people betting a million dollars, blah, 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 blah. Those guys are not professional sports bettors. Those guys are hype men. And what they do is they show these big tickets and say, I'm a winner. But in reality, nobody's going to take that type of action outside the Super Bowl unless you're a square. When I say square, it doesn't mean you're a losing square. You're just not considered a sharp that is, that's beatable by these sports books that will categorize you as such. So it was, I think it was a great game. I mean, like I said, I, I do it for entertainment. I won a Super Bowl square for the second straight year. 
A lot of skill involved, Eric, in these Super Bowl squares. There's a lot of skill involved. So <laughs> you just hope and pray. You pay money, you watch the game, and you have action on every play. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. But, you know, at the end of the day, I love NBA. Um, I know when I sent out the radio link to all of our clients, as we're heading into the NBA all-star break here in a couple days, we're going to do the state of the NBA report, break down some college as we're, as we're heading into the grind time. It's, we're really deep into conference play right now. Um, you know, and, th- and th- this is what it's all about. I know we, I personally do um, a YouTube video every day where I give a little bit of coaching knowledge of how to navigate this stuff and how to be a pro, but more so on this show, that's what this show is aimed for. This is not a pick prediction show, which I do those as well, but this is strategically to, to help any potential or current client how to do this correctly. Well, let's talk about variance. If you want to help, if you want to help clients, let's talk about variance first and bankroll money management. Um, how was your? How did you do in your NBA channel last night? I already know the answer. I'm asking for a reason. O and four. Okay, so how many? So this is the point. I don't care. I didn't wake up in a grump, grumpy mood. Did you? No. I mean, it just it's. Listen. If, if I lose so 7% let's, let's, of my let's, bankroll, let's, not a big let's, deal. Let's, let's, let's dig into this, right? Because the average player listening to this that is not a client, wow, man, these guys are on live in Las Vegas, 107.1 FM. They're on their, their – their, first of all, you don't hear us trying to sell anything because you know how to reach us if you want us. This is an informational show I've been doing for a decade. Um, I love losing. And when I say I love losing, it separates the weak Maybe from the you do. No, no, no. Listen, listen, listen. It, no, I do. I love losing because it separates the weak from the real, right? Everyone claims they can handle variance. Everyone claims that they're in it for the long term. And what you can do from a psychological point of view is sit back and see which clients contact you and which clients react and you know you the midnight drunk messages and the oh my god i can't believe it you're a professional and you blah, 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 blah. and so this is not to make fun of those players why i am going to make fun which is that nobody ever calls you when you go four and oh and goes wow you're amazing but when you go and four, they go, what's, we got to talk. What's going on? I paid you guys. I could do that. I, could, I always like this answer. I, I, could, I could do that myself. So back to when I say I love losing, when you innately understand, I innately understand that if I get on a bike, bicycle, and I cycle for 100 miles, I am innately aware before I get on the bike that I'm going to suffer. I'm going to have periods where I feel really good. I'm going to have periods where I feel really bad. I'm going to have periods where my body's going to be on fire and I'm going to just want to jump off the bike and quit. But I knew that before I got on the bike. It's the same thing when you're wagering. It's the same thing when you're trading is that you have to know that you're just, you don't get, you have to enjoy the suffering to get to the top of the mountain, basically. And so when I say I enjoy losing, I don't mean it like I would 
would have preferred to go. I mean that if your money is right and you're not going all in and you're not doing the Super Bowl Instagram $1 million bullshit. Ooh, sorry, I'm on the air. Ooh, I can't believe I did that. Apologies. Um, then you know that it doesn't matter. It's just a notch in the belt of all the games because what we preach and what we've been preaching for decades is syndicate betting. And what is a syndicate betting uh, organization do that a professional gambler doesn't do? They're very conservative. An average risk per play is about 1% of a bankroll. So if a client has a $10,000 bankroll and they went 0-4 yesterday and they lost $400, who cares? I'll toss it over to you. Yeah, and we have different, this is the unique part about what we do, unlike anybody else, is we're connected to sharp betting groups. These groups operate solely on betting their own games over 50 different, 100 different places across the United States. The only way that they broker their games is they don't want to talk to the end user. They don't want to babysit the clients. They don't want to give money management. They already know what their games produce long-term. There's a reason why there's a convention in Vegas every single year now called Bet Bash, where all the sharps meet up and they have, you know, a get together of basically a meeting of the minds where, all right, if you could do this for me, I'll do this for you and vice versa. And that's how we make these connections. And we vet these guys before we deal with them. So I bet every one of their games I've been, pretty successful over the last 12 years, only growing my account, but I'm not hyper-focused on days. And as much as I say that most of my clients are, there's always the the crazy stories where, oh, uh, you know, I I, I was down on the week and I don't want to pay my guy, so I doubled this wager and I lost more. Because they're not betting with real accounts, they're betting with credit accounts, those credit accounts, it's not real money. So they, they look at it from a, a chase perspective, just like getting a credit line. Why do you think there's credit lines given to clients at, at casinos? Because it's fake money. Those guys just have, they vouch for the money, but they don't actually have to put it up. It's much different if it's your money in the account. And you know that if you blow that money in the account, you have to deposit more money coming out of your personal bankroll. So it's some, most of the guys that have real money in accounts don't blow themselves up nearly as much. Not saying all, but most. But what happens is when you are trading college basketball and you're trading NBA, it's like you forget money management because there's so many games in the board. Then you're betting your own games, and it's, it just gets so messy that it's, it's hard to follow. There's a reason why every single Monday – I spend four to five hours every single Monday giving a PNL report of the previous week. Not because I don't know what my record is for the week. It's because I want to make sure that the client is playing the games correctly. Because if there's a mistake, I want to be able to fix it. So there's a reason why we engage with clients almost every day. I mean, I get a lot of texts from clients. Hey, my line's different. What do I do? I tell them to play or pass. There's a reason why I do that because... You keep buying to the number because you're waiting six hours to put the plays in. These groups operate like as soon as the plays are put out, 
they want, I mean, I know it's, it could be strenuous at times if you're doing other things. you got to bet it right away. The reason for that, the lines move, and when the line moves, you have to buy to the number, and if the game loses, now you lost another 10 cents when, when everybody else to put it in at the right time. That's like the same thing with stocks. If somebody tells you to buy at this exact price and you waited 10 hours to see that text and then buy it at the higher price, you now lost value. The same thing with sports. When you lose value, that adds up over time, and it's going to cost you in the long run. And certain people understand this concept, and they're in it for trading, and they're not emotionally attached. Some guys are. I mean, I got a text before the show. You went 0-4 in NBA yesterday. We need to get it back today. I don't even know what that means. What do you mean, get it back today? It's the same thing like every other day. We do the homework. We do the analysis. I believe I'm pretty damn dialed in to college basketball. Been red hot for six to ten weeks now. NBA had a great week last week, and it's Tuesday. Big deal. We lost. The games don't always go as planned, but over time it always pays. And, you know, do I wish that the volatility would be almost invisible and you're just going up a little and down a little? doesn't work like that, man. You're dealing with travel. You're dealing with injuries, stuff that you can't control. I mean, I had the Denver game the other night. Jamal Murray goes out with an injury. That's their second-best player. I knew they were going to get blown out by the Bucs at that point. There's no shot. But going at, look at it the next day, you go, oh, that was a bad pick. No, it wasn't. Well, I can't, I can't predict injury. It's situational handicapping with price scalping. And if people understand that, it means I'm trying to get the best price for the right situation. And sometimes it doesn't work out, and it's okay. That's why we have minimal trades. I mean, on my NBA model, I'll have as much risk as 5% on one game. But that's only for NBA. Everything on college basketball is rated the same. How much Everything did you have on my Swedish, my Swedish NBA total yesterday that hit? <laughs> that was a 1K, 1K bet. That was a nice hit. You know, people are going nuts. People are what is that? I don't see that in the NBA. I'm like, do you look at the team names? There's teams don't play in the NBA. <laughs> well, no. So how it works is when you log into your account under NBA, it'll have different countries. And so these are all the players that basically did make the NBA, and they're now playing overseas, right? So like right now when I log into my account and I click on NBA, it says uh, it'll say NBA, and then it'll say BK, Brazil, BK, Bulgaria. So, like, right now in basketball, I can click on Argentina, England, Australia, Sweden, which we did yesterday, Bulgaria, Brazil, Germany, and South Korea. Now, I'm going to ask you just because you know this from the pandemic. Do you think that there's any Germans playing on the German basketball game? No! It's just all college athletes that couldn't make it the United States are now all playing in in those leagues. So, yep. And they they still get paid. So, you know, if I can get an edge, and when I say I get an edge, back to the instruction of this show, I am sitting here logging in and scraping data from all the major betting betting groups that are basically allowing me to see what they're playing today. And then what I'm doing is I'm looking for lines that are solid and haven't moved yet, where I'm not getting a worse number. So, like, for instance, yesterday, 
that total in that Swedish basketball game. I log in it game at 1205, 12:20. I didn't realize the game starting at 104 East because it's in Sweden across the pond. Boom, the line, I see what they played it. I see what the line is now. It didn't move. Because it didn't move, I, I beat, I'm not getting worse closing line value, and I release it. The day before I did it in the tennis match, same thing. Hit the tennis match, so I'm 2-0 this week on my channel, 1-0 in tennis, 1-0 in, in uh, Swedish basketball. And so th- this is the obscure nature of are you wagering because you care what you're wagering on? Or are you taking advantage that it is truly a global world, not a local world? Now, for a time during the pandemic, as we did this radio show every single week during the pandemic and never were off the air, what did we alternate to? We alternated to uh, Nicaraguan soccer, Belarus soccer, Chinese baseball, uh, Taiwan baseball. So what happened? So what happened was because the North American sports shut down, it allowed you to have to force yourself to think globally. Still, I talk to too many people today in 2024 that care what they bet or are limiting themselves by the amount of books that they have. So, you know, if you only have one book that doesn't take this sport versus that sport, you know what? That's on you. That's on you. It's 2024. You can have as many books as you want or as little books as you want. If you look hard enough, you can find it. Is it going to be nice and easy where you're going to have one place where you can place all your wagers and get all the... No. But it's not supposed... It's not about being easy. And when I say... I mean, we're still not digging ditches here. I mean, you know, at some point, you know, somebody has to have enough intelligence to say, you know... All right, so it's going to take me 20 minutes to open an account in another place, but now I'm going to have access to a global market. And I think that, you know, unfortunately, I still believe that most clients are caught up in, you know, what they watch. The interesting thing is that the European clients and the Australian clients and the Asian clients and the Middle Eastern clients that we deal with, they are all they're all in on playing anything regardless of what shape the ball is. The only hesitance you get is from the North American clientele because they intrinsically view sports wagering as sports trading. They 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 look they understand it's about alpha and an edge. It's not about confirmation of their own bad opinion and having the desire to be right as opposed to the desire to win. Whether I win on a Swedish basketball game whether I win in a golf matchup, whether I win in a tennis matchup, who cares? Doesn't matter. Never has. It only matters for the people that want to watch games on TV. And, you know, I do believe that the only way that you could be truly successful in this business is to not have an opinion on which sport you want to bet on because of your past experience with betting on that sport. I mean, as we roll into about a month and a half from now, we're going to be at baseball. I love baseball. You love baseball. Why do we love it? Not because we love watching it. We bet underdogs. We only bet underdogs. And we cash because we're not paying that vig, that juice at the end of the year. And most people can't look at a game and go, all right, well, this pitcher hasn't lost yet, and he's 
going to be the Cy Young, and he's pitching against this team that's horrible. I'm going to take the winning pitcher. It's not the case, because if that guy has an injury, that guy goes out in the sixth inning, he has a non, non-decision on that game, he's not even listed at the end of the year with the win or a loss, but they end up losing that game because nobody at the end of the year is undefeated. They lose, Even the best teams lose a ton of games. That's why the Dodgers are the worst money team year after year for a reason. How do you find those spots? Well, that's because we have the analytics and we have the groups that are providing us with information. That's why year after year is the best cashing sport for your bankroll because it's the longest sport ever out of all of them. So I can't wait. Uh, it's gonna. It's always. It's gonna. Over, it always overlaps with NBA and then the NBA playoffs. So there's always added value. I mean, you know, I'm, I go on YouTube daily. I mean, we're dialed into NBA. I don't care about the last couple of days. Overall, we we know what we're doing. So it's just another day. Come in here. Don't have. I don't look at my count in the morning. And go. Oh, I took a hit last night. I could care less. It's all about the long game for me. And as long as you can understand that as a client to be non-emotional, that's when you get relief and and start actually producing long-term. Well, let's talk about um, the focus of this volume of college basketball. How do you you navigate your way through college basketball? Again, I'm pretty easy. I don't do anything but just get access to groups and follow what they're doing. Um, as a matter of fact, um, one of my groups has been getting more active in in in, um, in in hockey. And let's get back to this concept of FOMO. FOMO in the stock market means fear of missing out, right? People want to get on that stock. It's kind of like that. Uh, what was that? St- what was that GameStop story? You know, uh, the Wall Street mm-hmm. bet stuff. Yeah. The FOMO. The everybody's piling it, right? So, like, I had a, I have a group that gives me, that's been giving me auditioning their hockey. They went three and zero in hockey yesterday. I told them I won't bet favorites, basically dogs or totals. They gave me um, one dog, two totals, and they went three and zero. Do I wake up in the morning and go, oh, man, I could have had those three games. I could have used them. I could have bet them myself. I could have given them to my clients. No. There's no FOMO. There's no fear of missing out. There's always another game. I would rather miss out and see that they went 3-0 and and know that I'm dealing with a group that knows what they're doing because my, my, uh, I have not been successful in finding groups that can navigate betting dogs and hockey very well, so therefore I don't have a large emphasis on it. Um, but if I can get that edge, but I'm not going to just worry, like three days in, I'm not going to just say, okay, you know, let me just start steamrolling these games out to my clients. So for me, that's how I navigate these sports. I'm just basically the middleman. I'm the game broker, if you will. How do you navigate when you're breaking down all these games with Mitch and you're going online and you're going over literally two hours of the whole board? Like today, it's Valentine's Day and everybody's going to, not everybody, but you know, a lot of people, I'm sure you're going to take the wife out to dinner and you know, all these guys are going to be going out to dinner on a Wednesday um, with tripping out that they can't watch a thousand college basketball games while they're entertaining their significant other. So how do you navigate that uh, insanity with all this college basketball? Cause for me, it's easy. If they don't play it, I don't, me- I don't mess with it. 
And you know, I'm asking, how do you navigate it when you're doing these shows with Mitch and you're going over every single game, and you're telling me that well, people we don't are literally well, call you college. We don't so. In college, we don't go over every single game. We we pick a time slot and and the games that are on our radar. Um, college basketball is, I think it's pretty pretty easy. I mean, for for a guy that's not studying this stuff eight hours seven days a week and has a job and has a family and is focused fifty percent on that versus fifty percent just on the sports side. It's almost impossible to win, but if you're if you're in it, and I do live shows every day, I'm tracking every single game from every group. I mean, it's very situational. You know, certain teams are really good at home. Certain teams suck on the road. Doesn't matter about their rating. Doesn't matter about their ranking. I mean, you could go as far as there's a lot of revenge games that happen in college basketball where a team because we're in conference play right now and a team plays a team that they just lost to on the road. And now they come back home. Um, you can find a lot of those on a soft market because you know, there's so many games and it's usually what happens. It's information overload. Usually what happens is a, a random average recreational better, not even a pro, not even a semi pro will simply look at the top 25 and pick out games based on what they see the information on that are, you know, publicated on ESPN or, or something like that, where it's, they're in the, in the eye of, of basically of media. But then there's a lot of salt. Like yesterday, one of my games I even gave out on, um, on, on my education sharp trading place show where I love Providence yesterday. Now, Providence was missing a key player back from early January. That's why the line was low. They just lost to St. John's at Madison Square Garden, which realistically is not really a road game. It's really a home game um, for nobody, you know, because they play at the Garden. It's not really the St. John's, you know, home court. And Providence had a revenge game in them, and the line was very small. It was only two points. And based on the record of the la- over the last 10 games and how they played at home, their win-loss record in the last 10 didn't matter. It was how they're playing at home in Providence in a revenge game spot and the, g- the game won. Is every single selection when I do the analytics and the breakdown going to work out that way? No. But you're going to win a lot more than you lose. There's a reason why we're up so much on the college basketball season because we're so dialed in it. Because we watch all the games and I follow them. It's, it's unique. So certain guys like the Sharps that you deal with are all about price. They're not doing the analytics like I am with the day-to-day situational handicapping. But it doesn't mean that it won't work. It's just a different formula of how we get to the same outcome, which is wins and losses. So with college basketball, right now we're in conference play. It's, there's a strategy for conference play. Then once we go into the conference tournaments, which are at the end of February, beginning of March, completely different. Now there's no home and away. Now it's how are these teams going to travel to these conference tournaments? Some of the conference tournaments in the smaller conferences, they play at home as the higher seed. And then usually the final game is at a neutral field. 
neutral uh, court. But with the bigger conferences, they're all neutral. So how is that geographically better for certain teams in the conference to play at that court? Because we've seen it time and time again, the teams that are closer geographically in their top seed or top three seeds, they have an advantage because it's almost like a home game. And the other team, it's, it is an away game. So you have to navigate it differently of how teams travel. And that, that goes actually into March Madness as well. Once the seedings are out, you see is like the one and two and three seed in the conference. How are they geographically located to where their campus is? Are they going to have a lot of fans travel for those games? If it's a team like a 15 seed, you know, we've seen it before. We, we saw UMBC upset Virginia, and UMBC is about 20 minutes from our office. Nobody saw that coming. Nobody saw that coming. But that's, that's the unique part of the tournament. It's you have to produce on that one independent game to advance. doesn't matter about the, the conference tournaments. It doesn't matter about your regular season. Once you get to that point, it's one and done. What also matters when you get in the conference play is which teams have to win their conference tournament to get into the big tournament. In most of these smaller conferences, it's only one team that gets in. So unless you're like a Gonzaga who's already ranked, and if they lose the conference tournament that they'll probably get in. Most of the time on these other small guys, one team that gets in. So once you get into conference tournament play, each game is now the national championship for every one of these teams versus when you get into a conference tournament and it's like Clemson playing against Virginia, well, you basically are going to know that both teams are probably going to get in the tournament, even if they don't win in the conference tournament. So it becomes a lot of different situations that you have to be aware of before you make the selections. Um, it can get dicey at times because you look at a game and you're like, oh, well, this team's much better against the spread than this team. But what you're not realizing is, do they have anything to play for? Do they not have anything to play for in terms of, yes, winning the conference tournament gets her a bigger seed. But there's an added bonus when the team that is definitely not going to get in, they have to play lights out that game. They're going to try their hardest that game because they know this is their season. So then that, there's, that's just two or three variations of how we attack every day. And that has nothing to do with the money management side of it either. This is just picking the game and the outcome. So, you know, I collaborate. I have meetings with these groups every single day. We game plan every morning how we're going to attack the day. And if you're not putting in, as, as again, go back to that, you know, that recreational better. If you're not putting in eight to ten hours a day doing this stuff, you're not going to win long term. I mean, these sports books don't keep opening up and giving bonuses and giving boosts and trying to get more clients because they're losing. It's as simple as that. They're not doing that because they're losing. So how are you going to navigate in 2024 to be a successful sports trader, not a casual better? Casual betters will get slaughtered. Sports traders will have volatility but long-term, because of their discipline, they're always going to produce. Certain seasons are bigger than others, but that's just how it goes, man. We can't control the outcome. 
and bad beats throughout a season, but we could control our process that we put into every single day, no matter if we won, lost, or pushed. What, what, give me the scuttlebutt on the um, on the. Uh, what did you say about LeBron? Uh, I heard that Golden State was trying to get LeBron, and LeBron yeah, told they're, the trying to court, they're trying to court him. I don't know if there's any truth to that right now. Um, you know, the, they had the trade deadline, but now I, I don't know. I don't think there's any truth to it, but I don't really. You know, for me, I'm so dialed into the injury part of the game. I mean, yes, uh, last week when there was that trade deadline and all these moving pieces, you, we stayed away from certain teams over the weekend because there's a bunch of new guys on the team. You don't really know how they're going to play. You kind of like wait and see approach. Stay away from those teams that made a lot of changes, adding or subtracting. Um, and you're starting to see that it's, NBA is a, is a flow game. If you're following the pace of play and you're following how these teams operate night to night, like certain teams are just like college, really good at home, suck on the road or the reverse. And you have to know that when you're picking these games and that's why it's so easy to pick off constantly night after night winning in the NBA, but it's also going to backfire at times. I mean, injuries mid-game, foul trouble mid-game, certain teams just didn't show up. There's, like, certain spots in the NBA, like, if you're in a five-game road stand, coming home the first night and being a favorite is usually not a beneficial bet. It's that first night home, back in their bed, um, you know, back to their your normal routine at home. It's usually, if you're a favorite at home, I just don't like that spot, and there's like a hundred other spots that I don't particularly like in the NBA, but then there's also spots where I really like, and it's like certain teams always pay at home, and especially if they're a dog at home, they, they pay even more if they suck on the road, because what happens is when they come back home, they're not overinflated lines. Now, if a team is just good throughout, it doesn't really matter. They come home, they're going to have an inflated line regardless. But if a team has a horrible road stand, but there are traditionally, like, for example, the Rockets is a team that, and Jazz are, are the same in that sense, where they're atrocious on the road, but you can find a lot of value with them at home. Not every game is the same. You can't just blindly bet it, but it's, it, it's the first thing I look for. When the Rockets come back home after they're getting their ass kicked on the road, it's a good spot for them, usually nine times out of ten. You saw that the other night with uh, when they played the Knicks. Same thing with the Jazz. Usually if they get beat up on the road, they come home, the lines are not overinflated, and you're able to grab them with a, a decent price at home, and they usually ball at home. So you could, you could find that back and forth, and then sometimes you got to jump off the bandwagon. I mean, like with the Nets early in the season, we cashed a lot of tickets. They were a covering machine. They, were, they weren't overinflated, and then you saw some injuries, and you saw them fall off, and – Really, you're not going to get much value with them. Let me, at home like let me you ask did. you, and then also, like, let's talk about golf for a second. Like, you know, I'm not going to name who's who sent me all the golfs for this week, but like, I'm looking at some of the he 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 labeled one of the groups long bombs. We'll call it like lottery tickets. Where else can mm-hmm. you play something like in golf where you're betting four twenty to one, four ten to one, 
four hundred to one. NASCAR two hundred. You can get that. You can get that in NASCAR. But, I mean, but That's these guys it. hit. But but these hit. It's not like yeah, they're trying. Well, like, they're trying to hit. They're trying to hit basically four to five tournaments a year. Right. On the long shot. Which right again, if you're in it for the long game, it makes sense. But if you're in it. And you're only focused long balls. Are oh, you long bombs for the long game? Exactly. Yeah, you have to. And I mean, what did he, he, he won? Year. He won one the last time he won one. It was like four hundred to win forty thousand. And I said to him, um, "Right." He says, "Yeah, now I'm and good. I can lose them out. Next. It's not like he, he only said, does. I'm good. He basically he says, "I'm good. I can like lose the next ten tournaments, and it won't matter because if he's betting, you know, it, that's the thing is that he didn't win." He had a four hundred dollar wager on an outright that paid forty thousand, but he had nine other wagers in the same tournament. So it wasn't like he had right. just picked the one, right? You got to play them all. No, like he, he, he sprinkles me, it. He sprinkles he it based on me value. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. So he's got ten horses in this tournament that starts Thursday. So now. Yeah, if you get lucky, you hit one of the 10, or you can just go 0 and 10, but you're betting a very small percentage of your bankroll, and it is a grind. Um, and this is the thing that, like I said, a lot of people, well, they want that immediate gratification as opposed to knowing, hey, if they do this every week, they're, they're going to have positive, you know, positive expectation at the end of the year, but you're not going to do it in a straight line where every week you play and you're going to win. You know what I mean? I mean, you would, uh, that would be nice. That would, I would make a lot more money if I hit an outright winner in golf every week. But, I mean, even last year, I think we won four or five tournaments, but there was about six or seven that I can remember that were super close calls. Like, basically, they were leading or within a stroke on the last day, on the final round, and they just didn't get there. I mean, it was like literally they were right there. And then there was ones we lost in the playoff last year. I mean, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. But overall, I mean, you look at the P&L in the year last year, it was incredible. So I don't really, for me, that, like you had the call with that client before we got on the, on, on the radio today, you basically told him, look, if you're not going to do it the right way, I don't want your money. I don't know anybody else in this industry that would turn down money because they're not real sports traders. They're just handicappers that serve for one purpose, which is give you their opinion every day, period. You know, they're, they're just playing the numbers. They get hot. A lot more people buy from them. They go cold. They get less people to buy from them. We're the opposite. We're going to take 30 minutes of our day to talk to a potential client and then tell him it's not for him. I do that all the time. I mean, I, I probably do that 10, 15 times a day. I mean, do you're, I love you're it? No, more, you but, do it. You, you, you do it more than me. And I sit over there. I'm like, why is he even, but that's your, that's what you do. So, you know, well, because when you become a public person and you have a brand that you live by, you want to do it the right way. And which means it's not always going to be the most profitable route, but it's going to be the right way. And whether some clients don't see the light and all they care about is they're hyper-focused on banging the board today and betting half their bankroll on the board today, listen, I'm going to tell them my professional opinion is they're going to go broke, maybe not today, but in the future, because it's, it's just stupidity 
to, to bet that much of your bankroll per day. But, you know, there's, because of the legalization of sports over the last sports betting over the last couple of years, there's more and more novices that have access to bet now and they don't have any clue what they're doing. And the worst thing that could happen is like what happened to a buddy of mine um, a couple weeks ago. Guy never played a slot machine, sat down Uh-oh, at the slot hit, machine. I see where they hit a hand pay. Yeah, hit a hand pay for three grand on a $10 spin, right? So now, psychologically, he thinks that it's pretty damn easy to go into a casino and hit a hand pay. And I keep telling him, like, I'm telling you, man, like, it's just be careful. Yeah, you could hit hand pays, but you, you might dump a lot of money. And as much as I say that, I don't really know if it really resonates with him because in his mind, he is a lucky winner. And that's what happens with sports bettors. They come in, they hit a $100 bet that pays them a $20,000 payout because they, they did a nine-leg parlay and it hit. And now in their minds, they could re-trigger that parlay again and again and again. And what normally happens is, and we've seen it now firsthand when clients tell us this horror, the horror stories don't actually come from the consulting side anymore. The horror side, the horror stories actually come from the self-inflated, inflicted, inflicted, sorry, self-inflicted bust outs that they do on their own because they think they're chasing that initial huge parlay hit instead of realizing like, oh, I can't, I, I'm not going to hit this again. I, I really need coaching or just pull your money out and never bet again. That that's your best solution. If you're not going to take professional advice. So it's, it's a constant minefield out there and you, you really have to dial it in if you're going to be successful long-term and the ones that don't, I mean, try to, you know, I, I mean, look, the I, problem, I do my the, best. problem, the problem with, um, the sports market versus the the financial market as it is a financial trader. And if anybody trades the financial markets, they, I don't have to tell them about the last 48 hours, just literally insane movement in the market in whether it's the crypto markets or whether it's in the financial markets crashes with retracements and all this requires capital. And the, the, there is no like element of a, you're not tying two stocks together. You're not tying two commodities together. You're not, doing this, what I call overinflated odds. You know, you want to buy a stock, you buy the stock. You sell. Now, again, you can options trade, but that's a whole other thing. But even if you're option trading, you have to have capital. Nobody opens up a trading account with $200 in their account and attempts to trade, uh, you know, the markets. So the, the problem with most of the sports bettors that are new is not that they don't know anything. They don't know anything, which is, that's not a problem. That's just a fact. You have to start somewhere. We're here to educate them. The problem is, is that there's no limitations on how much money you can join. If you look at the sports book marketing as a whole, it's all about put $5 in and get free 200. They're, com- they're coming with the lowest common denominator. You know, I tell a client, when I talk to a client, if you go to my website, ericpathy.com, says minimum of $10,000 bankroll. Like, don't even call me unless you have ten grand in your in your legal sports betting account or your offshore sports betting account. Or if you have a credit account, you better have ten grand in an envelope sitting there that you can just burn if you lose. Don't even call. This is where 
a lot of people call us after they hit the score. Like somebody will call and say, yeah, I have 30000 in my legal account. And I go, well, how much did you put in? Oh, I put in 500 and I got lucky and I hit this parlay and I hit that. So they did all the wrong things to get up, but they never actually opened an account with twenty grand. And so until you can qualify that from the client, and then they never make a withdrawal. You know, there's like a statistic, like I think it's half of 1% of all people withdraw money from legal sports books. So it becomes like an adult video game. Then no matter how high the account is up, they never actually make a redemption. It's just a number. It's a, a number on paper. You know what I mean, Cos? Right. It is. It's it's hard. To, you you either got to do it right or just don't do it. That's just my best advice to anybody: do it right or just don't do it. Find or if you're else. one of those listeners that got lucky and took a small amount of money and turned it into a large amount of money, and now it's in your account, stop. Say, okay, I got lucky. Now it's time to switch over to the pro way. Just stop. Because, you know, we have, we've had some of those guys that actually have done that. They've called us after they made the score before they gave the score back. And there's nothing wrong with that. I respect that guy more than the guy that says, oh, yeah, I made a score. I took hundred grand to 100000 and I think I'm going to turn it into a million. Right. You could try. Quite hard. I mean, I mean Wednesdays, we, call, we don't call it hump day. We call it the blow-up day. Wednesday when we do the radio show on college basketball is the day that everybody blows themselves up, right? Because there's so many games, and they go parlay crazy. All they want to do is parlay, parlay, parlay. So with that being said, before the music comes to a close, anything you want to add is we got a minute left. We didn't break down any games, and that's not what we're here to do on these shows. You can do that by going over to Pick Dogs on YouTube. You can watch you. What days are you on every uh, every day? Break so I'm, all, I'm on the live show every Monday, Friday, and Saturday. There you go. But I have a daily video report. You have a daily video report. Um, I don't do the live shows because, to be honest with you, I don't want to break down games because it's not what I do. So me breaking down games live on air is kind of the opposite of the world that I'm living in, which is just being a follower of groups that are already doing it. There's no point. No, you're not, the you're not in it to I don't have the handicapping knowledge or the fan knowledge to even talk about it, to be honest with you. What, that, you that can't break down a Swedish a basketball game? You can't do it? Yeah, I couldn't even tell you the name of a player. I don't even know the team. I don't even know the <laughs> name of the teams. I've... Oh, man, you really don't have to know. That's the point. That's it. We'll be back next week. Good day. Good luck.